You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast, and tonight we're talking about Guillermo del Toro's newest film, The Shape of Water. You no trouble. Me, fifth element. Supreme being. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. What's up, Brian? <laughs> yes, uh, hello, I'm Brian Elkins, uh, and with me tonight, Wahid Alkalazmi. Hello. Uh, and we're here talking about Guillermo del Toro's um, film, The Shape of Water, which got a bunch of uh, Golden Globe nominations, uh, one Best Director for him, uh, and one Best Music, too, I believe. Yeah, for Alexandre Desplat. Yes. Yeah, man, dude, it's this is a great fucking film. It's like seriously one of the best I've seen in like five years. Wow! Don't hold your opinion or anything. No, you get, you're just like flat out of the bag, dude. Like, oh, this, I've, is, this is a great one. Let me just put it this way: I've seen this film seven, oh wait, no, eight times in theaters. You've seen it eight times, and without a movie pass, like Man. I paid every single time. I've only seen it twice. Man, eight times. Love the shit out of this film. I, I was so you good. It. Yes, it, it is good. It is good. Um, Guillermo del Toro is a is a fantastic director. One of the one of the directors that I look to now. I put him up there with Christopher Nolan, up there with Denis Villeneuve. Um, Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I put him up there with those guys in terms of like uh, the past decade, uh, past two decades. Of filmmakers that really caught my eye. See, I'm, I, I've never really been a big fan of his at all. Really? No, not at all. And uh, man, my just, heart, man, man, I, I, you know what? I that's that's me lately. I'm a heartbreaker. I'm Fair tough. Enough. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm telling you, man, this film, holy shit, it took me places. Like it's still, it provided what like Angela's Ashes or like even Dunkirk to me provide like escapism. Like I have not, you know, like lately I've been going to a lot of films and I can't escape. You know, like some some are just way too real. Do you know what I'm saying? Or someone's just like stupid and I'm like fucking sitting there nitpicking See, that's, that's it. That's what I would think of Dunkirk as being a little too real. <laughs> oh, but no, I loved it. I, like I escaped into the trauma that's of it. That's not escapism to me. Yeah, to me it is. <laughs> I escaped into the trauma of it, man. But this this film, like, man, right, oh my God, enough. I just like escaped life. That's why I loved it so much, man. That's why I went saw it so many times. Two two hours and 14 minutes, I think, is the runtime, right? Or like two hours? Yeah, it's, it's somewhere around there. Yeah, but like, you know, 
that's just time for me that I get to escape and have for myself. It is fantastic. I do. I can't believe you're not a big fan of Guillermo's work because I think this is like um, never have been. Man, hated Pan's Labyrinth. Did not like that. Like whatever fucking Transformer looking film that he directed. Oh, okay. That's Pacific Rim. I will not have shit talking <laughs> on a podcast, <laughs> this podcast. Man, about Pacific okay. Rim. Okay, I got yeah. enough of the toys. I I love that film. Yeah. Uh, th- now that is fun escapism for me. You know, like oh, just is it? Check your yeah. Check your brain at the door and watch some uh, giant monsters and giant robots battle it out. This is to me like this ends his trilogy that that he started with Devil's Backbone, uh, and the middle chapter was Pan's Labyrinth, and now Shape of Water, and they all carry like uh they all take place in some some war. They all involve around um, some kind of childhood innocence almost. Uh, now Shape of Water, I would say, gets rid of the the child. Um, yeah, but there's still adult innocence into it, you know, like na- na- naivete kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. With Sally Hawkins' character, yeah. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. You know, I think she has like a, a like an innocence almost like those, and like the other fin- the other children characters in those other two Fantastic ass. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Sally Hawkins did look, who the fuck knew oh, she looked that good Oh, naked. my God, man. That's the, that was the first, the first impression I had about this film was, uh... Wow, Sally Hawkins, girl, <laughs> work it, A, B, holy shit, you're a phenomenal actress. No, dude, she really did bring it. I really hope she wins a fucking Oscar. She, uh, she's probably not going to. But have you ever really seen know. her? Like, I, I'd seen her in Blue Jasmine and Godzilla. She was fantastic in everything I've ever seen her in, but I That's the never... Only two things I can remember. For, um, I've never... Oh, my God, man, she's got this, like... She's got this, like, 1960s French look about her, you know? I can see that. I can totally and, see that. And, and she's like the modern-day Bridget Bordeaux for me. Like, to me, she's classy and sexy, and a lot of you are going to disagree. Hey, fucking tweet us or email us if you disagree, but, like, holy shit, man. Like, seriously, like, oh, my God, man. What class. What wonderful performance. I mean, are we getting spoilers in this podcast? What are we doing with this? Yeah, well, let, let's let's wait till we you know go on, go on a break, and we'll. There is a scene where she pleasures herself though multiple times. Uh, those were good scenes. Yeah, you know, it, the movie <laughs> had the innocence of a kids' film. It had the, like a fairy tale thing going on, yeah. but this is not a kids' movie. No, it's not, and it's definitely <laughs> all about adult love and subjects and loneliness and yeah. the shape of water. There's uh there's some there's some nudity here and uh, you know it's Guillermo del Toro so there is some violence of course he's got of great course. gore in his movies man I, yeah. lo- I love the gore in his but films. it was like tasteful it was, like it wasn't there just for the sake of a good shot it was there because it like you know moved the film forward it was a it was plot driven <laughs> I don't I don't know I always feel like del Toro is like he's in that camp of like David Cronenberg. We're like, they, you know, they can do subtle sometimes, but they usually choose not to. <laughs> no, there's no need to, for subtlety on some of the stuff he showed in this. It was like, no, it was good to see it that way. I'm like, oh, shit, this was fucking great. <laughs> like, you know, like if Spielberg had directed this, like, I don't okay, think. Yeah, because Spielberg, those... like, always does PG-13 fucking movies except Saving Private Ryan, all right? Don't fucking put them in the same camp. Well, well, he didn't always. He did, he did Munich as well. He's done other Okay, yeah, okay, stuff. okay. Yeah, I yeah. forgot about Munich. But, I love that film, too, though. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. 
But you know, Guillermo del Toro. He okay, okay, hold on, hold on. All right, all right, all right, and appreciate all right, the right. horror. No, get the fuck out of here. Here's why. There's a scene with Eric Bana having sex with his wife after he came back from his mission in Munich, and it was like two and a half minutes of Eric Bana just like water dripping everywhere, slow motion of him like while he's fucking his wife, like going back and like, the, come on, yeah, yeah. He didn't have to do that. Okay, I, I can, I can, I can go ahead and say <laughs> the same about his, his ass with like you know, it's like. Oh, I don't get to do sex scenes for this one film. I'm gonna do like ten minutes of it, and it sucks because I, I don't know how to shoot sex scenes. I'm Steven Spielberg, man. You know, Steven Spielberg. You know, he was, he was probably sexually harassing Eric Bana at the time as well. Maybe I don't know. I'm waiting for you. Oh, that's my man crush, man. Don't do that. That will break my heart. I will. I will totally go gay for Eric Bana. Oh my god. Yeah, who would? A lot of people wouldn't, but I would. I I know you have a man crush on Eric Bana too. That's yeah. that's why. Yeah, that's that's why you and I like get along. <laughs> <laughs> Our deep fantasies are Eric Bana because we have uh, ten by ten by eight or eight by tens of Eric Bana. Oh my we, god, we like candles around them and uh, to- to- totally do, man. I'm not shying away from that shit. Listen to records. That guy's a beast. <laughs> Listen to all the great '80s love ballads. Uh, oh no, this this. All right, so okay. Anyway. Uh, back, back, back to Guillermo del Toro, and the reason I wanted to bring him up, I always shy away from talking about the auteur theory, mostly because I find it kind of to be bullshit. It is bullshit. Not in his case. He is very auteur. I, you know, I, I do, I do see it. Like every single one of his films, like even films like uh, I was watching, rewatching Blade Two. Yeah. You yeah, know yeah. that it's it's a middle chapter. He only did the middle one. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he just ne- he needed it for a good paycheck and to get his name in big Hollywood. Man, you, know. you say that, but dude, there's themes in that movie. No, that he carries over to Hellboy, Hellboy Two, Pan's Labyrinth. No, 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 no. Like, it, it, look, it's aesthetically still him, and it's everything that's him. But it's not, nice. l- 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 get the fuck out of here, man. You know, if I get a franchise, if someone calls me up, is like, hey, I have a franchise. Can you direct the second one? I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm totally fucking doing that just to get a fucking good paycheck and a name. In a Hollywood big film Yeah Come I mean, on It did help out yeah. his career Yeah but I mean All those one shots in there At the very beginning Those were like Fucking mind blowing When I saw that I was like 14, 15 I was like Holy shit Who directed this shit That's how I fir- yeah. That's how I first learned about him Oh really It was Blade 2 Yeah uh, I think I heard about him For the first time well, I saw Min- Mimic in the theater um, Yeah When that came out Yeah uh, But that mm. got Harvey Weinstein Took that away from him And, and recut it and Yeah we know all the bad stuff about him now, but yeah. what gets overlooked because of all the sexual harassment stuff is that Harvey Weinstein, we would take movies, man, and recut the shit out yeah, of yeah, him. Yeah, no, 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 no. Not, not only did he harass women, he fucked over artists yeah. every fucking day. Yeah. yeah. yeah like but he made, he made them and himself a lot of money. Well, y- I yes. mean, eh, you got to give it to him. He, he, he was not. He was smart in that fucking department. He knew how to fucking make some people's careers. But he's yeah. still a piece of shit. <laughs> what did Seth Meyers say? Why, why, why is him and Trump, I feel, the past year and a half have been just coming up in every conversation we well, have on this I podcast? Mean, you know, like, like, no matter what, you can't bring somehow, up, you Trump can't bring up Del Toro he, without Harvey Weinstein. I mean, like, he, he saw Del Toro know, at, a, at an early but, age and kind of gave him his start. Yeah, and again, you know, that's the thing, too. You, I hate this fucking guy. But he gave us him. He gave us, um, you know, Quentin Tarantino. He's given us all these. But fucking those guys would have had. Nope. I think I think they would have had a chance. Nope. 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 No. Regardless. No. No fucking way. No. There was no Canon Pictures at the time to fucking give like. You know, first time directors, any fucking guess? No, nah, no, man. that was all Harvey. Don't fucking not, start not, with me, man. That not, was all Harvey. I will, brother. Uh, hold up. I will say, not for Guillermo del Toro because he started off in Mexico, 
right? With yeah, what American producers bringing Mexican guys over in the nineties? Get with the fuck Kronos, out of here. and then he does he does uh, mimic with uh, the Weinstein's mm-hmm. has a terrible time. Yeah, says fuck you guys. Yeah. Leaves Doesn't matter They still nonetheless Brought him into the American market That fucker couldn't get His own visa He would have had to Jump it over the matter. border To come here without well, the wine You know scenes. what he does He goes back home Yeah To Mexico Yeah And he makes devil's backbone Does, does that is matter. a critical No They no. opened up the doors For him here Bro I'm telling you As a foreigner It's not easy to come And no, work I, in this country Dude Kronos Is what Is what put him on the map Okay the Weinsteins took advantage of him. He went back to Mexico, restarted, got those roots back. All right. Went back with Devil's Backbone, then came back to the U.S. strong with Blade Two. Okay. And then that's what made him. I'm telling yeah. you. Look, Weinstein <laughs> is not, I don't give him any credit for Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro worked his way constantly, bro. No one is saying that he did not, but I'm you saying. You just said that. No, I'm saying this guy introduced him to the American work market, and if it was not for him, he would not have been introduced. Yes, it may have been someone else that introduced him, but but it would not have been I'm as, as effective as Harvey fucking introducing you into the American market. Come on, man. Well, dude, he left him and then badmouthed him all over town. I don't give a Fuck, I'm just saying, still, no one was as effective to introducing foreign directors into American markets as Harvey Weinstein. Love it or hate that fucking guy, I personally hate him. No one has been as effective as that guy for independent filmmakers and foreign filmmakers coming into America. Period. You, you can call him all he is, and for all the truth that it is about him out there, which is he is a monstrous piece of shit, but you cannot negate the fact that he did do that. But he did it for terrible fucking reasons, man. For fucking money, of course. But who doesn't no, do shit for fucking no, money? No, dude, look, everything he did was not just for money. Taking somebody's movie and recutting it and kicking them out of the edit room, you're not doing that for money, bro. You, you know what we should do? We should call up Troy Duffy. You're doing that. And we should try to get Troy <laughs> on this podcast and let him fucking settle this for all of us. No, you're doing it because you're an egotistical fucking control freak. Of course. Yeah, that's, that's you why have to he be, did that. You stuff. have to be a little bit fucking OCD to fucking get the shit that you need to get done done right. I am not. I no. I I hate that guy. I've hated him. I hated him before the Me Too movement shit ever happened. I fucking loathe Harvey Weinstein for everything that he did to fucking cinema, bro. Loathe really? that man. Wait, what, what did he do? Cinema. He brought us some good stuff, dude. Yeah, he he brought a cinema paradiso and butchered the director's work, and I didn't get to see it for fucking almost a decade. Yeah, but nonetheless, you know what? If he didn't bring it here, you would have never fucking seen it, bitch. Yes, I would have. No, you would not have. I would have. get the fuck. Out of here, you would not. I see it plenty been, of foreign been, films. Why he that been, wa- Harvey Weinstein did not release? What are you insane? <laughs> Do you think Harvey Weinstein's the only it, person that releases it, all the foreign an, films? It would have been an obscure little thing, it would have never been the way it is right now. I'm just saying. I do love Cinema Paradiso, and I love the director's cut. I do not like the Harvey Weinstein cut, dude. Look, I'm saying plenty of foreign films are released in the United States perfectly fine without the help of Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, the highest grossing foreign film ever. Harvey Weinstein, not involved. Just saying. <laughs> Guys, I wish I wish this was a, a video podcast so you can see Brian's face right I'm now. It's you. all red. His bald head is sweating. He's all Anyway, red. what I wanted to get back to, the whole... Cut all this out, by the way. No, There's no reason for it. No, cut it all out. The whole... The whole reason I wanted to bring this up in the first place was mm. I, I do think that Guillermo is... Auteur. He's an auteur, yeah. I get I, I again I don't like saying that word. Yeah. No, 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 he is. He is. I mean, like seriously, in this film, um, I mean, he was involved obviously as a director 
all directors are usually involved in every aspect of everything. But I mean, we're talking about like the bloodstains. He was there like during production, like with hands, like taking the fucking like fake blood and rubbing it certain ways. Like, no, I need it to look like this. I mean, this this film is pretty much all the essence of him from writing, yeah. directing, score, everything, you know, like, yes. I mean, we, we you know, we're talking about is we have one of the best freaking composers alive right now that did the score for this. Nonetheless, though, it is definitely a Del Toro-like feel and, um, I guess, like, suave. Yeah. I would, I would say this one feels a little bit more whimsical, though. Yeah. It is. It is. And the, thing, the thing is, too, though, like, you know, that's why I really think this thing will win the Oscar right now because— Do you think the, it's going to win the Oscar? The score? I, I oh, think, you I, think it's going to win the Oscar for music? I think the score and director, yeah, I, I don't think Christopher Nolan's going to get Dunkirk, which is a shame, but I think this film, this year— if this if this podcast gets released before the uh, the Oscars, then you know uh, we'll see. Yeah, uh, but I think I th- I think it will win um, best production design. Really? Actually, yeah, I mean because it's between it and the Greatest Showman. Those are the only two like really best production designs out there that are like really have a chance. Just just looking at like how they uh. vote. Because, like, if it was up to me, Dunkirk would get that. Because the production design on that was fucking phenomenal. I mean, like, that is intense. But, yeah, I, I think it'll get best score, best director, and possibly, possibly best production design. Mm. Hey, you know, I, I would I would definitely like to see it win best director. I would yeah. like to see it, it will. Sally Hawkins win best actress. Yeah. I would be surprised if she even got nominated. What? Dude, she's yeah. getting nominated, bro. I hope so. I, I really hope so. I can't see how she won't get nominated. She was, she was phenomenal in this film. Like, this film. <sighs> Although she, Amy she Adams just, didn't get nominated last year, and that fucking broke my heart. Right? For That's what I'm saying, man. Like, you know, they, uh, whatever. But yeah. Why, why do the fucking Academy fucking hate goddamn horror films so much? Like, this and Get Out were the fucking, in my opinion, they were the two best two movies. Two best films last year. year. Yeah. Well, Dunkirk. Oh, yeah, last year. Yeah. I liked I liked both those movies yeah. better than Dunkirk, dude. Oh, what? Yeah, no, no, I, I would say Shape of Water, Dunkirk, then Get Out. I, you know, I even liked Blade. I think I liked Blade Runner twenty forty nine a little bit better than Dunkirk as well. I did. Well, I hope fucking Roger Deakins win the fucking cinematography award for it. But <laughs> he won't win that one. They don't it's give that man the Oscar. I know, man. That's so fucking sad. He pissed in somebody's Cheerios like fucking three thirty years ago. ago yeah. Like, yeah right? <laughs> like, hey, you remember you made Shellshank and you fucking shat right in my Cheerio? Yeah. You fuck you. you You'll never get an Oscar, that was bitch. My bowl of as long as I'm alive, I, uh, you're not gonna get it. That's uh, kind of how it seems. But no, man, dude. So, so it's this. Is this a little weird to say? But um, I don't think this film would have worked without the score. What? Like, no, the, I the, think the, I, the, I, the score. The score moved the whole film, man. I think it would have worked. I think it would have been fine. They would have just had a like composer. Dunkirk. If you take the score out, I'll still watch it. This film, if you take the score out, I would not be able to. Like this felt like the score moved the whole film for me and the camera. The camera work. Like, every shot except for one was moving in this film. Every single shot was moving in this film. Yeah, that's usually Guillermo's style. Yeah, no, more so on this. There was one static shot, and it was of her watch for two seconds. I've seen this film so many times in theaters already. I'm telling you, I sat there for one of the viewings and literally counted how, like, I had a pen and pad and, like, pen and paper and all that stuff and, like, counted <laughs> how many fucking shots were static. It was one. It was an elevator shot for two seconds. It was of her watch. Oh, all, all the elevators, aren't, aren't, the, aren't all of them static? Nope. 
Nope, they were all moving. They're all moving one one way or another. There well, was it's like, nice to give like the camera like it's yeah. in you know it's in water. No, it was, give it a little was, fluid. I, I, I guess that's why he did it because yeah. it is the shape of water. You're moving in and out. There is a shit ton of water symbolism in the movie. Oh, dude, this film is so sexy, man. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it, guys. Like I cannot describe. If you have not seen this film, pause. Please go see it. Come back. And listen to this if you still want to fucking join us after the Harvey Weinstein rant. But uh, and then if you cut out the rant, they're like, "Oh, what fucking rant?" Uh, listen to it on the mini podcast. Don't worry, I'm <laughs> keeping that in. That is oh, gold. god damn it, no, take it out. Um, but no, man, like this is oh my god, this is a sexy film in every way. Like Sally Hawkins, number one, sexiest thing about the film. Seriously, like the most gorgeous, sexy, beautiful, innocent thing about the film. Honest Two, performance. Yeah, honest performance. The script. Holy shit, the dialogue in this is phenomenal. And then cinematography, God bless it, man. It is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous fucking film. But Guillermo, uh, what's his name? Navarro did not... uh did not shoot this movie, man. Oh yeah, who I, I don't know. I don't I don't know who even shot this film. And he's been shooting like Guillermo's movies, dude. I think since Kronos. Well, maybe maybe he's, he's missed got, like a couple may, here and there. Maybe Guillermo Tortor got tired of the Guillermo's fucking jokes on set. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I'm getting me another cinematographer. Fuck this shit, Guillermo. Who? Which one? I don't know. Damn it. But yeah, so Dan Lauston, Lauston. What I, is is he is he is he Danish? Uh yeah, he's from Denmark. Oh, there you go. Austin. But dude, it was a gorgeous fucking film. Production design was great. Oh my god, dude. This is a sexy ass film. The fuck it is. It is. Oh, it is the cinematographer Crimson Peak. Okay. So it's the same guy who shot Crimson Peak. Okay. Yeah, man. And like the music on this is fucking fantastic. You are obsessed with the damn music in this movie, man. Dude, dude, he does a lot of this like throwback to like okay, you like Suspiria, right? I do, but you remember I don't the see whist- how the- You remember the whistles in Suspiria in the soundtrack? You mean the screams? <laughs> no, I know, but he had, no, there are some whistles. Like, there it, are there, some, yes. There, there, it was, dude, it was... They, they, these are not the same kind of whistles, though, no, Of course not, of okay. course not. I'm just saying it brought me back to, like, the feeling of when I discovered all those films, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, listen to, like, you know, like you, you said this earlier, like, whimsical, like... I'm listening to like this thing and it's just like you can close your eyes and listen to the soundtrack and like literally transform yourself either into the that this movie's universe or if you're having a shit day like go into another thing. You know what I'm saying? Like the the part the whistles that I, I, I really hope you're playing like Eliza's theme right now while we're well, talking right here. Of course but, we will. But uh, I mean it does it does a little bit Remind you a lot, a lot of Danny Elfman though. It's like very '90s Danny Elfman. I will like say, like with, with with what with like the flute and the wind chimes. And no, but, but there is no no. There's no like. It, it reminds it, me okay. a lot of the Edwards is your hands. Soundtrack. Okay, okay, cool. It does, and the movie kind of done reminds by me a, a little sane bit. man, not a crazy motherfucker like Danny Elfman. <laughs> like this is the sane version of what Danny Elfman being sane would sound like. I could see that. Danny Elfman is a little crazy. Yeah. Oh, my God. But he's the best kind of crazy in the world, though. I know, but it's fucking way too much crazy. Like, too many notes. Just like... I don't know, man. Just like in Amadeus. Like, son, don't take it hard. <laughs> take it too hard. There's simply too many notes. Just cut a few, and it'll be perfect. <laughs> That's Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman should have been in Amadeus. He should have been Tom Hulse. <laughs> Just simply... Too many notes. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know, man. I, I I think he's got probably the best Batman theme. Yeah. He's got a good Batman theme. Uh, I don't know. He's he's man. He's got a lot of scores. But 
the music is good, but dude, I, I think it's the story and the direction and what dude, sells it's everything. For me it's everything. Is the and I, dude, I love Creature from the Black Lagoon. That was one of those f- fucking Universal movies I grew up on, and seeing the Creature from the Black Lagoon get the chick is awesome. Because <laughs> you know, in Creature <laughs> from the Black Lagoon, you got the you got the brunette. I don't even remember her fucking character's name, but she wore that white bikini. Yes, everybody, I, every kid. If you saw it when you were young, you remember this girl. Brunette, white bikini, yeah, and the guy always comes in with a rifle and shoots the creature. You're just like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't know why I wanted the creature to get the woman. I don't know what the creature was going to do with the, the woman. Creature, you're the creature inside. That's why. <laughs> but this movie answers all those questions. I had. <laughs> Dude, this is yeah. I I, I cannot. I want to get into spoilers, man. Like I don't know how to do this, but like I don't know how to segue into it. But oh, I want to well, get into. I want to talk more about the actual film. All right. Okay. Well, let's do it this way. We'll play the trailer, and when we come back, we'll get into a spoiler-filled discussion. She deaf? Mute, sir. She can hear you. You clean that lab, you get out. This may very well be the most sensitive asset ever to be housed in this facility. You may think that thing looks human. Stands on two legs, right? But we're created in the Lord's image. You don't think that's what the Lord looks like, do you? This creature is intelligent, capable of language, of understanding emotions. When he looks at me, he doesn't know how I am incomplete. He sees me as I am. The natives in the Amazon worship them like a god. Get him out. What are you talking about? No. We need to take it apart, learn how it works. I don't want an intricate, beautiful thing destroyed. We can do nothing. I'm sorry. Don't do this, Eliza. What is she saying? Don't do this. Oh, God, it's not even human. And we're back. <laughs> that was the trailer for The Shape of Water. Uh, good trailer. Yeah, it was. Yes, sir. Good movie as well. Uh, before, I guess, uh, we, we get started on this, uh, there is one thing I did want to bring up. There is on the Reddit and going around the Internet right now, there is a short film. The Spaces Between Us, I think it came out in 2015. 15. Uh, and it, it does have a very similar plot. It's a lady. It's a cleaning lady that is... In the future. Yeah. She, she saves a fish man. Pretty similar to The Shape of Water. But Way too similar. I mean, you and I already disagree, and you you ambushed me on this because I did not know about it until right before we were about to do the podcast. I didn't find about it until the day of. Oh, okay. To be fair. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I'm, eh, from what I saw, it's pretty darn close, man. I mean. It is, but. If I, I was a lawyer, I would even say there is some some basis for a lawsuit right there. Ju- just to be fair, uh, Guillermo del Toro did have this in pre-production well before then. And, I, don't, I don't know about that. And was working on, uh, well, he, he, he was working on the sculpts for the creature. Uh, I was reading, I think, two years before the the film, so he had the script done. Yeah, two years before the film, it puts it when this film came out. Yeah, 
Yeah, again. But again, if I, I was a lawyer, the guys with the short film have really hard base ground for this thing. It it is similar, but ideas do germinate this way of where course. you know people of we get not uh, these situations where we have dante's pink and volcano come out the same year armageddon and deep impact i get it how does this stuff happen i i don't know man you know i don't know either ideas that are very similar out in the zeitgeist that people latch onto. but this is way way I, way, way too similar it, it's so similar though like that's what makes me think it's not because Guillermo del Toro is not... I'm not saying the guy like saw it and was like, oh, fuck it, let me rip it off. I'm just saying, maybe when he came up with the idea, he went to see if someone else did something, and he saw that. He's like, well, I'm a bigger fish. Fuck those guys. <laughs> Get it? Pun intended. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to do it my way. I'm just saying. <laughs> it is way too similar, man. Like, fucking go watch the film, then go watch the short film. And it's actually disheartening for me. No, I don't find it disheartening at all, man. I think it's I think it's amazing that uh, you know uh, somebody uh, thought of an idea that was similar to somebody that we all respect, a director that actually you know has gone on and made. Hey, you're seeing it differently though, because I see it as this motherfucker was like, oh well, someone already had that idea. I'm just gonna take whatever I had in my mind and kind of make it this way and make it better. To me, it was a blatant ripoff. I didn't think it was a blatant ripoff. There's so much. Pretty much. The story is completely different, I think. I mean, outside it's of like. It's a cleaning plot. lady okay, that finds a fish man in a fucking tank and sets him but free. Why, Get why, the fuck out of here. He, it's the same thing. Plot and story are different things. So plot is what happens in a story. The story is like your theme, like what your characters are going through in your film. Okay. So I would say yeah, when the you story have twenty million dollars is very different. <laughs> when you have twenty million dollars, you could expand on the fucking story. Don't fucking start with me. I guarantee you that guy that did that short had something very similar in mind to what the shape of water ended up turning out to be. Maybe and didn't have the money to do it. Don't fucking sell me. Maybe we can contact that fucker and he'll tell you. He'll he'll send you his feature film that he wrote that he couldn't fucking produce because this is a lot of speculation coming out of you, Wahid. I'm just saying this is all speculation. I'm just saying. Look, I want a lawsuit. (laughs) None of this is knowledge. I want a lawsuit against someone because they ripped off my fucking short film called Scorned. You remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they literally ripped it off shot for shot. And well, this was not a shot for shot ripoff. It's not. I know because he's smarter because he owned a Toro. But anyways, they ripped mine off shot for shot and did a fucking movie about it. I ended up winning the lawsuit. Nonetheless, shit happens like that where people have a similar idea. They go on just to make sure no one else did it. And then like, I love this idea so much. I'm not going to like back down from it. I just I really wish you did not show me the short before this podcast. I really well, wish it is you similar. did not. It's something that I think we do need to talk about. Fucking very similar, man. Like, no, all the feels coming out of here because like I've been through it before and it's not fun no it's not fun i i do and i i understand it but at the same time i do think people on the internet need to calm the fuck down and chill the fuck well, out it's the fucking internet man you can't fucking tell them to calm down and chill the fuck out what fuck it's not 1989 internet this is 2018 internet. no they need everyone to, has they an need opinion. to calm down i know everybody has everybody including has to us we're out. doing a podcast because it's 2018 we can do that and have an opinion about movies <laughs> well, we have an opinion but at the same time i don't i don't think we like go after anybody and we don't say people should die you know we're, we're oh you pretty, totally did we're pretty calm what 
couple of podcasts back, you're like, fuck Harvey, he should die. Well, he, yeah, he, well, yeah, okay. I, maybe not death. <laughs> death is way too kind. Yeah. We'll think of something else. <laughs> I know. Slow torture but, in a fucking Stephen King novel. <laughs> oh. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it is, it's worth bringing up. We'll put it in the show notes. So it'll be there if you guys want to click on it and watch it. And you guys can decide for yourself and yeah. let us know what you guys think. Yeah, yeah. Tweet us. Or Instagram us. We're on Instagram now, finally. Thanks, Brian. I, we do not have a single picture up on Instagram. But still, nonetheless, we are. You can DM us. You can put us. links in fucking Instagram. Yes, you can. If you're a business account, I'll show you how to do it, bitch. Uh, if you're a business account, does it yeah. cost money, though? No, it does not. Oh. I'm going to show you how to do it. All right. Fair enough. I don't give a fuck about that. Anyway, so, anyway. so, back to this. <laughs> back to this. Let's talk about this film. It's all amazing. It is all fucking fantastic. I don't I, know what to start with. I, don't, I really don't have anything negative to say. I think we should probably start uh, with the beginning with uh, Sally Hawkins' character because... That's how the movie starts. We see her daily routine. Yes, that has everything to do with water. Yes. Uh, the uh, eggs that yes. she eats all the time throughout the entire movie, hard-boiled, cook them in the water. Y- yep. I mean, it, it like starts out on a close-up of like fucking boiling water, and then she like puts the eggs in there. And where does she choose to masturbate? In the bathtub. That's right. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. When she, took off, when she took off her clothes and got in that bathtub, I was like, holy shit, what am I seeing right now? This, this is, I, I'm going to come off such like a fucking misogynistic ass right now. But holy shit, thank you for showing us that. Like, it was fantastic to see. It hits, actually, there's a lot of sexuality in this film. Because yeah. she ends up fucking the fish man later. Um, yes, I guess we should go ahead and yeah, get that Yeah, well, spoilers, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. We're, we're in that section now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she fucks the fish man later. Uh, and they they actually go into the... Uh, and, and, like, Octavia Spencer's <laughs> character is fantastic because she's like, wait, what? How? <laughs> and then, like, Sally Hawkins does this thing where she, like, has her hands and it looks like a peach and then she opens up her hand and then she puts her, like, finger out and, like, brings it down. And then, like, Octavia Spencer looks at her and she's like, oh, goddamn, man. <laughs> they all do the same shit. Even Whether when you're a fish. fish? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even if you're a fish man. Hey, we, we should we should give them a little plot about what this film is, I guess, in case kind of like no one knows what the fuck this film is about and they'll listen to this podcast. Oh, well, it's uh, it's about Sally Hawkins, who plays... Uh, Eliza. Uh, yes, and she is a uh, maid. Mute. Uh, she, yeah, she's mute. a mute in the mute. 1960s. Mute. A mute, mute in the 1960s working for a top a secret government, uh, la- government lab. You don't really know what they're the doing there. Doing research. No, they're doing research. And but you don't know what kind because they have airplanes. And I know. Fishman. I know. I know. But they tell you later on it's it's one of the facilities. It's like an R&D facility that's trying to help put the first American in space. So they say they that's, why, that's why that's why they have the the fish man because um, he has two different lungs and he has two different systems. He can breathe and in the water yeah, and out and out. Yes, yeah, so they're trying to figure out if they were to dissect it. Let's say, and that's where Michael Shannon's character comes in. Um, what can we learn from this creature that can help us win the space race? Um, so this is obviously pre us going to the moon. Uh, in that universe that they're in, yeah, yeah, it's everything nostalgic about uh, Americana in the '60s. It, yeah, the, the, pl- the pie shop and the buses and the taxis and the neon fucking lights and the greens and the reds and the blues. They it do mention the fantastic. Cuban Missile Crisis, so it's got to be do. later, later '60s. But it can't be yeah. too late. No, it can't be too late. Well, I mean, it's mid '60s. 
mid sixties. Yeah, I guess it would be. Yeah, yeah Cuban mid, Missile yeah. Crisis is like sixty six to sixty seven. You know, and then we went to the moon after that. Yeah, we uh, moon was sixty nine. It would it would have been pre moon. Sally Hawkins' character decides to break him out with the help of Richard Jenkins, who plays her her gay neighbor. Yeah, and Octavia, uh, Octavia Spencer. Spencer, who plays um, Academy Award winning Octavia Spencer, motherfucker, get that shit right. <laughs> she, she for the help, you? yeah, oh, she wanted oh, the help. Oh fuck yeah, best supporting actress, man. She was amazing. Oh my god, that shit pie scene. Get the fuck out of here. I'm like, I saw that. I was like, I haven't girl, seen girl, what? I haven't, seen it, I haven't, I haven't seen it. I haven't caught you up. You is it kind. Yet. You is pretty. You is beautiful. You need to fucking watch that film. I, I, I don't know. I saw her in uh, Hidden Figures. Loved her in that. But I don't know, man. The help just didn't really appeal to me. At the oh, time. It's, it's, it's a really good movie. Is it really? But good? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. But like Octavia Spencer, man. Holy shit. What a fucking talent. And so, look, there are scenes in this film that are very 1960s. They talk about the uh, political climate. And uh, it's so weird that it's kind of relevant to nowadays. But, um, you know, those scenes were like Michael Shannon when he's like, oh, I see you're the only, you, you know, like when he's interrogating them and he's, you're the, you're, you, you know, you have no siblings. You're the only child. And then he goes, I thought you people had more. You remember that? Do you remember that scene? Yeah. Michael man, it was Shannon's fucking, got a lot of stuff. Man. Like yeah. It was cringeworthy as fuck, man. I'm like sitting there like, oh, I feel embarrassed to even listen to it. But like, I don't know, dude. I, what she I, I wasn't into embarrassed. That. I was laughing at it almost. Well, yeah, like, look, you know, it was, it was uncomfortable laughter, but it was definitely like, cause I don't know. It's so out of place with today. And it's, it, it's, it's not, it's not though. Not with the fucking, so, no, not with the Tiki Torch Whites. No, fuck that, man. Uh, it's no, not dude, out of look, place nowadays. Michael Shannon could not be. Uh, Michael Shannon is definitely a Tiki Torch White in the sixties in this film. Yeah. But I'm going to say Michael Shannon's character would not be acceptable today. <laughs> Um, we have the fucking president in the office who is Michael Shannon's fucking character today. Get the fuck out of here. No, man. Bro, you're a white guy. I'm brown. My last name is Akawasme. I'm telling you, you have not experienced what the fuck I experienced the look, last year just, and a half. Look, just that because shit stuff exists happens, nowadays. Just because stuff happens. It does. Closed door. It doesn't mean it's acceptable just because people do it's it. It's not fucking acceptable. I know. We both saying that. I'm just saying. I know. Michael what Shannon's I'm, character what I'm in this saying, film. It is acceptable for him. Here and he, and, it's and not this, acceptable for him still here, but no, nonetheless, they did not shy away from it because that's how it was back then. No, none of the characters say anything to him. Yeah, he is not in the wrong. It is totally acceptable for him in this movie, in this, in this film, time. because of exactly the time frame. Yes, exactly. I, yes. So what I'm saying is, is I'm, I'm my, picking up what you're laying down. Okay. I'm saying, uh, but I'm, I'm, but I, you're I, arguing with me. No, I'm arguing with you about the fact that you you say you know it would not be acceptable for that kind of person, or it, it, that kind of person would not be presented nowadays. And I'm telling you, those people exist nowadays. I'm not so. saying they don't exist, Wahid. What I'm saying is, is that they're not seen as acceptable. When we see Donald Trump write tweets, we all get mad at it. That's why his approval rating is under forty percent, bro. But not all. There's the other people that approve not of him. Not all. But, but there's the people that approve of him. So what I'm saying is they fucking exist. I know, but we don't. Those cunts exist. I'm not saying they don't exist. <laughs> okay. What What did you think of the story? What did you think of the plot line? I thought I thought it was pretty good. Um, what did you think it was about? The plot? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. A woman stealing a fish. 
<laughs> that's that's the plot. I mean, there's not there's not really a, a whole lot, you know. No, there's, of that. there's a lot now, more than that. No, the, Come on. the, the, the deep layers. Our man. story here has, yeah. has a whole bunch of stuff. But I, okay, let, let's talk about everyone that Sally Hawkins' character uh, interacts with. Okay. She, she's moot, uh, mute. I keep wanting to call her moot. Moot. What's what's moot? It's I mean, a moot be, point, bro. Like, yeah, <laughs> it could I be can't the French speak way of moot, saying all right? it. Le français. Okay. All right. So yeah, she, she's a mute. I guess we see her neighbor, Richard Jenkins, who's mm-hmm. a gay man. Pretty much all the characters that live in her life and inhabit her globe are loners or are perceived by society as loners. As, yeah. Uh, yeah, or some kind of outcast, outcast yeah. by some group. And, and they, they live above a uh, uh, movie theater. The Orpheum, bro. Yeah, the Orpheum. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the Orpheum. So I say, oh, my God, because the first time... I saw this here in Memphis. We have an Orpheum Theater downtown, and these two old fucking couple. It's just so weird. Like, I get it if it was, like, a millennial behind me and talking the whole time during the film. These were fuckers in their 70s, and they would not shut the fuck up. It was annoying. But the first thing they said, like, oh, my God, it's the Orpheum. I guess they shot that downtown Memphis. And I just wanted to turn, like, you are a fucking retarded, dumb motherfucker. There's more than uh, one Orpheum in the United States of America. I know. That's why I wanted to turn and go... <laughs> You're a dumb motherfucker. Uh, but no, yeah, right. I, I, like this is a film really about loneliness, man. It's it's on the surface. It doesn't look like it. It looks like a fantasy monster film, but it's not, man. She doesn't, you know, she's a mute. And like this film, like fucking heartbreaks for me. Like really like all the fucking feels this film. I, I felt this film more than any other film I've seen in years. Uh, and this brought me back to my childhood of what made me want to make movies. It was like this escapism part of it because she is lonely right she yeah. uh, like think about it right so she gets up in the morning she does her routine she works the she works the overnight shift guys like to clarify so her evening is basically daytime and she will you know so and she's a mute so there's not gonna be like she can't really go out in the world and find anyone to be honest just because of her work and because of her situation probably that's why she found that kind of work but she works for the slap security research, uh, like R and D facility, and then this creature comes in, and they're trying to study them. Yeah. You know, the the creature. Sorry, study him. Played by Doug Jones in a awesome prosthetic suit. Absolutely, yes. It is. Uh, that's what I love about this too. It was not like really CGI. It was CGI enhanced, but it was not like fully CGI and like it like was real. It felt good. Yeah. It felt good to look at it. You know. I think they uh, changed the face. Is pretty much about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it just, like, really did feel good. I mean, of course. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, because they had the fins come out and stuff like that. You can't do that in real life and make it look realistic enough, you the know? The blue glow, though, they actually put that in the suit. Oh, no shit, yeah? That's yeah, kind of cool. Like, know, like, right? like little LEDs? Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, no, yeah. Or they actually had some kind of paint. Oh, cool. Like phosphorus paint or whatever? I, man, I don't, I'm not 100% sure uh, what like kind the, of paint it was. It, it, is, it is a fantastic creature design because, like, it has a lot of, like, human um, essence to it, but... At the same time, like, it makes it feel foreign when you're looking at it and exotic. I was, like, very pleasing to look at the whole thing. Yeah. It, it's like a, I don't know, it's a, it's a cool updated version of the creature from yeah. Black Lagoon. I don't like it as much as a creature from Black Lagoon just because that monster is supposed to be scary and creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and well, this one's supposed to be more like, E.T.-like. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, this is this is like a adorable one, you know? Like, I mean, because the thing is, you, you want to relate to it because, you know, um, she falls in love with him. So he can't be really monstrous. So Even like, if he does eat cats sometimes. Oh, my God. That fucking scene <laughs> was disturbing as fuck. He ripped off that, hat's fucking, that cat's head. 
I, I was almost kind of thinking it was going to go like a little dark, but the movie always keeps and holds like a very positive, whimsical tone. It does. It does. Even with the tension. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. Um, there is just a, a lot of this film. Like, okay, so like, like, let's talk about the color palette really quick, and then we'll just get back about the acting in, in a little bit since we got into an argument earlier. Um, <laughs> the color palette. Did you notice um, all the greens and the blues and the reds in this? And then, like, uh, Richard Jenkins' character, uh, he's basically a fired art director from an ad agency, right? So he was an ad man. Hold that thought real quick. I want to ask you a question about that. Do you think he was having an affair? With the head of the company? Yes. 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 That's kind of how I took it. I I, I think that's why he got let go. Yeah. yeah, It was like, were they having an affair and his wife found out? Yeah. Someone, something, something happened. Or they found out he was gay or something. Yeah, because, like, the head of the agency really does come off as gay. Like, who intimately knew Richard Schinkis' character as well. Yeah, he feels sorry for him. Yeah, because he's like, Bernie, I really want to come back. Bring me back. And, like, the guy looked at him, and he was like, yeah, those two have fucked at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, it does kind of – anyway, like, yeah. keep going. You know, it's it's a film about, like, also, like, aging and not being relevant anymore. And, like, me personally, I've, I'm starting to feel that, right? Like, I feel like I'm aging. I'm not – I don't feel relevant anymore. And you old uh, bastard, you. I am an old bastard, me. Fucking younger than me. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> but, I, but I'm just saying, like, I'm getting to that point in my life, and, like – I can relate to Richard Jenkins' character because so you know he he's he was he was an ad man and he's working on this painting that's hopefully going to bring him back into the mix where he can get to work because you know we all as humans need like a purpose in life you know but he's his work is being overtaken by photography you know not not hand drawn stuff and he's he's Which was drawing the thing. yeah and and he's drawing this uh, ad for a Jello. And it's a mom and a dad and a kid. And the Jello, at the time when we first see him, when Sally Hawkins brings him food, because he has no one, she has no one. They're next door neighbors. And I guess they can, you know, they, they relate to each other, right? So she, like, makes him lunch or dinner, whatever we want to call it, well, right? Yeah, well, you, she, you see that they have, like, a bunch of, like, little in things together with like the dancing movies yeah exactly yeah 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 they're into musicals he like they both know the schedules from tv guide which is funny like to see someone still hold up a a printed copy of a tv guide you know and like you know like switch to the channel to it so 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 at the time when the film starts out the jello is red and she's wearing these green coats and then he goes in for one of his meetings with the ad agency people, right? <laughs> make him happier and make it green jello, buddy. And make it green jello. Green is in. And then he switches it to green. And when he does do that, her coat changes from green to red. It's weird. Like, I, I, I thought that was really interesting. Like, there's a lot of, like, very purposeful choices in this film that are, like, really interesting, like, color-wise. Yeah, I don't know, you know? why he chose, like, green is, like, a – is, like, the very mundane – fake color yeah 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 because i mean that that is what it kind of represents it, it does because it, it's got the jello with the happier family yeah and then michael shannon's family that's like the stereotypical like it, it's americana almost, 60s yeah i was gonna say it's 50s but uh yeah it is it's more 50s I, almost it's almost like leave it to beaver than it is yeah um, I, I, don't, I agree with you though because like michael michael shannon's character is a is a is a, a square like literally even his pocket squares are squares you yes. know in this film like and i i wear suits all the time trust me i look at pocket squares and shit with like on movies and shit like that i'm like oh but anyways like he is very much a square but he's like a ruthless motherfucker from the 50s 
50s that got into the 60s. So again, he doesn't feel relevant either because he's trying to get this creature under control and whatever it is for him to stay relevant to his general for him to move up because he wants to settle down he's tired of fucking moving from city to city with his family he wants to just have a desk job or like a senator job or whatever it is you know he says that but i don't think he does oh i I don't think his character believes that that's what he wants but that's what he says in the film so yeah i mean like richard jenkins out of his time um michael shannon's character is too old for his time he he just wants to be back in the 50s you know of everyone saluting him it's it's all about the man everyone worship the macho army guy sally hawkins is alone no one can understand her because she's mute man like let's be honest in the 60s no one gave a fuck about you if you're mute and then like you know uh octavia spencer is in a dead marriage she's the only one that had a quote-unquote a resemblance of a normal life in this film right because she's married she has her bitching about her husband (laughs) because he he doesn't do shit right she's bitching about it because he's sitting at home it is very much the macho man and she feels alone because she doesn't i mean she you know do you know that semi montage scene where her and Sally Hawkins were cleaning that facility and she was talking about yep. how she was cooking stuff for her husband he didn't say thank you you know she feels underappreciated by everything by her workplace by her friends which she has none Sally's her friend yeah not by and, Sally Hawkins you know um you know she feels lonely as well so literally to me man this film is about loneliness like it really is it's about it's about finding your own family but it's it starts out with loneliness I, you know, I would say that's probably the main theme. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also got like a, a little bit about communication. Yeah. I, I, but again, look, I, p- p- part of loneliness is not knowing how to communicate yourself or people not knowing how to communicate with you and you not accepting other people and people not accepting you. That's that's really the major drive of loneliness. Yeah. And, and although these characters though, are, they're kind of. I don't know. I feel like the world's almost out to get a lot of these people, you all, know what I mean? including Michael Shannon. Like, I actually felt bad for him when uh, the general, you remember the general part, the, the five-star general? He's yeah, like, <laughs> I don't feel bad for Michael Shannon, though. Oh, no, no, no. I, I understand. Let, let, me, let, me, let me rephrase. I understand it. Yes, I understood the pressure he was under to impress this fucking five-star general. I should not have felt bad. I, I, that's not the right word. I, I don't mean I felt bad for him because he is a mis- misogynistic, racist asshole in this film, but he is so good in it. I will say, I think I do think his character is the one character that almost wants the loneliness, though. Oh no, he does. He he wants to turn his own his own world upside down. I love the fact that he's attracted to Sally Hawkins just because she can't speak. Yeah, but no, that's also because he's a creepy fucking freaking. Well, I know, but like, because like we saw that like scene where he was fucking his wife and he's telling her to shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, I bet, I bet I can make you squeal just a little. And like, and she's Ugh. like, his wife comes Ugh. in like uh, in another scene and she's like, oh, you know, I think we should get the kids a, a P U P P Y. And he's like, next next thing you know, it's hard cut, and he's like just getting in his Cadillac, just like in the range. Yeah, God, I can't stand, stand this shit. Yeah, I know, I know. Like he's squeezing his fingers out. The monster ate, mm-hmm. but he's also got this um, really weird speech with the general, where he's talking about uh, if a man fails just one time, should he be redeemed? It's the moment in the movie where I realized that they were making the United States military the bad guys, and it was bizarre. It was bizarre because this is like you know, it's a this is a fifties, and it's an updated of a fifties monster movie. Yeah, pretty much. It's the love story S- version. Set place in the sixties, and dude, in the fifties. 
Divas, they were, we were always the good guys. Yeah. We were always one that came in and blew the fucking monster out of the sky. Yeah, we yeah. killed King Kong on top of the Empire State Building. We did it, baby. We got him. <laughs> and in this movie, everybody in the U.S. military is a piece of shit. Shit, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, like, a part of it, I think, is a little commentary on our current, like, everything that's in our world. Not just in the U.S., like, worldwide, you know? I mean, but, like, you know, I, like, okay, there was, like, a little bit of a spy. Okay, so this this is definitely a noir film. This, this is, is a spy level, yeah. Yeah, the this B is... Plot. This is definitely a noir film, man. I mean, there's no way around it. I don't think... I don't feel like it's a noir. It is. A little bit. Uh, yeah, I can, yeah, I can see a little Come bit. Come on, man. Yeah. It, it, it is. It's a horror, horror fairy tale to me first. It is a horror fairy tale noir thriller, all combined with, with a little monster. Bit of romance. With a lot of romance. Dude, the, uh, I, I, I really want to get into the monster because that the Sally's really... like. The, like, we we did not even hit the main crucial part of this whole film, which is the relationship between Sally and the monster. He cannot communicate with humans yet that we know of as audience when we first saw him. He's there for experiments. He's there. He is like abused and confined to a small space. And she can't communicate with humans other than Richard Jenkins and uh, Octavia, Octavia Spencer. Spencer, like just yeah, you know, and they're the only Reading ones that understand her, her you know, exactly. And it's sad; it's lonely for both of them. They end up having like that's how they start the relationship. They have lunches together. She has no one. To, this is how sad it is, man. She has no one to have lunch with except him. I don't know. But I don't know. I always feel like she kind of had lunch with Octavia Spencer dinner. Dinner, uh, not lunch. Uh, uh, yeah, whatever. It's Dinner. Lunch. It's uh, oh my god. Octavia even says, "Can we finish?" When when the original head of security comes in and and she you know has her how loaf, about, her meatloaf, she goes, "Can we finish our dinner how first? About they before have we different go in? schedules because, I, dude, look this this facility is just way too full of people. Bitch, this facility for was me to believe it's overnight. a graveyard shift. A graveyard shift was only for Sally, not for the whole facility, but Sally was graveyard shift. I'm saying everybody was there in the morning, like after the after they steal the creature the next day. Well, those motherfuckers could have. She was definitely there in the morning at that time. I'm just saying, that was not. I'm, just, I, I'm gonna find you an article after this, and I'm gonna email Guillermo it to del you. Toro. Please on Twitter, tell us what shift graveyard motherfucking shift man it is a graveyard shift i want to know, we need to know sally hawkins character <laughs> work schedule okay we need to know it's so important to the plot no it does not matter fucking at all why are we even talking about this is yeah. stupid anyways yes but i know like you know but octavia like look she, she you know octavia says she knew her for like 12 years right so at some point after 12 years, like you and I have known each other for like almost 10. At some point, you're like tired of this motherfucker. You don't want to have fucking lunch or dinner with them, whatever the fuck shift you're working, right? And so uh, you start seeking that somewhere else. And she did it with the monster. And it was so cute, man. She'd like bring him fucking eggs. That whole scene where she where she does this thing with the Oh, eggs, where she signs eggs. Where she signs eggs. And then yeah. the music part. I do I, like I, the I, first time you see the monster. It's very threatening. It is to her. But, but she, I, she wasn't. It was to me. I, but I, she I was, was scared. I thought he was. She wasn't really scared though. She was like intrigued. You know, she she was she was she was like really highly intrigued. She was like that stupid chick in a horror film, and you're like, "Don't open the door, you dumb bitch! Yeah, 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 Don't she, feed the monster the she, egg." She walked towards it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, man. I don't, no, I don't it's, like, it's it is is well done. But that that relationship is so beautiful. Like it is actually, uh, it's so weird to say this. But it's a sexy ass relationship, to be honest with you. How much she like cares for him, and 
like right away, you know, like the connection that they have. No, I mean, it's weird seeing a human, a woman, you know, grabbing onto a fish man. Yeah, it is. It is. But, but at the same is. time in this movie, it does pull your heartstrings. I agree with you on that. I mean, it, when you see the, the images and... Cause, cause, like you know, she's abused. Powerful. She's abused by her own society. You know, you know, like you remember that scene where, um, when we first first started out with her, right after the whole like, she makes the egg, she jerks off, she takes Richard Jenkins' lunch. They watch a little TV. She gets yeah. to the bus stop, right, and there's that heavy set with like heavy weight set dude, uh, with the balloons and the cake. He even won't talk to her. You know, like no one talks to this lady. She's so alone. Yeah, well, I, I I thought that was just to illustrate loneliness because this guy is also, you know. Yeah, but do you get what I'm saying? But, yeah. like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, even he as a lonely man, let's say, to illustrate loneliness would not even have the courage to, like, just even spur anything out to her. And, yes, this guy is a monster, and no one talks to him either, right? Because he's just there for experiments. They You're not talk- talking about the guy with the cake anymore. You're talking about the creature. And now I'm talking about the okay. creature, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy with the cake is a monster because he ate the cake by himself. Um, he took the cake from a kid's birthday cake. party. I know, right? Uh, and I'm talking about the monster, right? Uh, <laughs> my five-year-old birthday But, like, like no, one, no one really is talking. They're talking at him. You know, they're talking about him to each other and what they're going to do to him. But no one is really talking to him. Did you notice that? You know, we're talking. We're not talking about Sally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyone else? We're talking about the military, the yeah, scientists. Or, no one is talking to him. They're not trying to find out what he's about. In that regard, they're trying to dissect him, use brute force to figure out what they want on their end. And it's fucking sad, man, seeing like a human and a creature that no one can talk to or relate to. And it's beautiful when they connect. Yeah, it's. It, it, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. It took a little while. For the, the love story, for it to warm up, because it, it does feel very, it feels alien. It feels weird when you're first it, watching it. Oh, it is. It is. But full disclosure, I've seen this thing like eight times in theaters, so. Yeah, it's, it's I don't it's it's bizarre. When you're first watching it, it's like, yeah, this is kind of, it's kind of weird. It I don't, is. I don't know what's going on here. Is, is this fish man going to eat her? I don't know. Or is he going to fuck her? <laughs> yeah. I still can't believe they did that. That is oh, it's so good, though. I am so, so glad good. they did that. I mean, that is so ballsy, man. I I cannot say how just a perfect choice. Well, I mean, like I no no one else paid attention to her. You know, there's no one for her in this planet. We don't you don't see pictures of her family. She's an orphan because you know her last name was is Italian for orphan. You remember that part where Michael Shannon was like uh, interrogating her? Like, oh no, I remember the uh, Octavia Spencer has this weird thing where uh, with the Bible, her yeah. her middle name's Delilah. Delilah, yeah, uh, yes. Delilah. And there's this weird Delilah Samson thing that he keeps yeah. bringing up. You know, Eliza is it like Despolito or Des, Des something? Esposito. Esposito, yeah, and and it means orphan in Italian. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he, he like yeah he he talked about that, but um, she has no one, man. Oh my god, there's actually a fucking scene where Richard Jenkins gets into a fight with her about her trying to take him out. And and he's like, I need to get my life back, and he takes his painting to the mat to the to the you know, like the fucking ad agency people, and they turn him down basically, and it fucks up his life, and he comes back and he realizes he has no one except her. And that's why he agrees to help her to take the monster out. Because this guy, the monster is being tortured. The monster is being, like, overtly oppressed. And she understands his pain. 
without words because they can just communicate like by just feeling each other. Well, they, they they've they've started using some signs. sign language, but it's still you know like I mean like there was only two of them. It's eggs. And music. Well, I think we're to believe that they're yeah have communicated some more, some more, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, enough to they have sex later. But anyways, yeah. But like you know, dude, that was fucking like that scene too, man. Where she was like telling him, like she's like, I want, I want to take him out, and 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 Richard Jenkins is not like listening to her. Like I feel that in real life, for me personally, well, like people don't understand what you're saying, and you're like, I want to be Sally Hawkins. Like no, no, repeat. What I'm saying to you Obviously it's for us as audience It's just easier than reading subtitles You know But still What he what he ended up doing Like you know With repeating what she's saying About wanting to take out the fish Because she says like You know The way he looks at me No one else looks at me that way You know The way yeah. I know he feels about me And the way I feel about him No one else Does that for us For me For him And Richard Jenkins Was an ass about it and then he goes to the pie shop that he loves. I don't think he, he was get, an ass. I he, think he, he was being realistic. I, I agree with you. Okay, look. He was being realistic in, in society terms. He was being an ass in a character term, right? Yeah, I can see that. And then he went and he got turned down from, from his old job, got turned down from the—he made an advance on the pie shop owner. And then he came back. He was just broken. He was like, I, I'm alone. I have no one but you. This whole film, man, fucking like just really kills me with that whole loneliness part of this film. I think my favorite scene was the black and white dance music number. Me too. He gave her a voice. <laughs> Guys, there is there is a scene. Well, I don't know. Is that actually her voice or is that actually just the song? It could be a song and it that could is, not be well, her it voice. Is, it is the song that's played earlier. Earlier, yeah, yeah. From the big band vinyl thing that she shows to the monster. Because yeah. she gives him a choice like, what 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 vinyl you want to listen to tonight? <laughs> but no, what I'm trying to say is I'm glad Guillermo like gave that character... A little, it's a minute and 15 seconds because I timed oh, okay. it. He gave her a voice to express herself because it's that song, like, it's that song, like, you know, nobody will ever know how much I love you. Yeah, because you know? she's trying to explain to the creature that how much she loves him because she can't go with him because she's got to let him go out into the ocean, release yes. him into this channel. Yes, and of course, she can't go out into the ocean to be with him because she can't fucking breathe in water, right? Yeah, yeah, she yeah. has no gills, but she has those three marks because someone took her uh box from when she was a kid, your vocal cords basically. So, when you're a the kid. question I have, like, once that comes into play, and once we get to the end, which the end, you think they're both dead. The Gilman comes back. Anyway, he breathes into her, and these cuts that are in Sally Hawkins' necks that open took up. A, that took away her her vocal ability yeah. open up, and they become gills. Exactly. Yeah. So was she always a fish person that got left on an orphanage, or was she just an orphan that this godfish? You're Gilman, mind, you're mind fucking me because I never, I never thought about it that way. I just thought that I, I thought that was the most incredible like fairy tale part of it was like she a fish was she the fish out of water I, I that needed to be found by the oh, merman. Fuck your mind fucking with me right now, Brian. I didn't think about it that way. Like I mean, once you get to the end of the movie, I it was like, probably is. I did not think about it that way, man. I, I don't know. I see. It, it leaves it open for interpretation. Oh, you fucking fuck, man. You're mind fucking with me right now. Damn it. Why did you do that to me? 
Well, I mean, it's just something, it's just one of those things you think about, you know? I literally just, the way in my head, I did not, the way in my head was, she was an orphanage, someone cut her fucking cords when she was a kid, she has uh, three fucking retarded marks on her fucking neck, Michael Shannon points out to it, uh, J.B. Spencer points out to it, and then she ends up dying, and the creature comes and revives her in the water and kisses her and we become gills, and I'm like, oh, such a beautiful thing. I did not think about it like, oh, fish out of water, it makes so much more sense now. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's the orphanage thing. Just because you don't know who her parents are, it's it is kind of interesting. I, I do like that, and I don't. I love the fact that they don't answer it. No, I know, but I never even thought about it till you brought it up, man. Damn. But I mean, there's a lot of cool, like little layered things that they do. Um, another thing with like Michael Shannon's character when he's going through. By the way, I really love his fucking character. I know it's it's grotesque and oh. disgusting, but the way he played it, laughs, it bro. is so good. It is so good. And Dimitri, yes. man, we have to talk about Dimitri. Let's talk about the Ruski. The Ruski, yeah. Well, the, well the I mean, hidden r- Ruski. The hidden, yeah. It's it's the '60s, right? So so the Ruski's got Cold a little, War. you know, the Cold War. They they got a little scientist in to this lab and the scientist is trying to get information about the monster and the russians basically decide like the monster is we would love to have him but if we can't have him the americans can't have him either so kill him yeah and this guy somehow as a scientist you know as a human being not as a russian or an american or whatever it is becomes attached to this thing he 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 sees the beauty in this like godfish and um does not want it to die so he helps sally take him out uh with the with the israeli poppers uh with the with the technology that he has uh from <laughs> that the, was pretty cool that was <laughs> really cool how it like shot up the fuse box I know. Raised, uh, israeli, israeli popper. popper yeah damn fuck if I can speak, it just shoots. It's a bomb. It just shoots up and like I don't know in a fuse box. Yeah, yeah, and like cuts off the power for five to ten minutes before the generators come back on. It's cool how that. I like I like how that shoots up visually. It's kind of nice. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, incendiary like crack that just yeah. goes up the middle of the fuse box. It was yeah. cool, man. It was. It was. That was a really cool scene, man. Um, but you know, he is kind of a comic relief a little bit, right? Uh, like you know the 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 scenes where he goes to the quarry. And he's sitting on top of a stone for a little while waiting for his Russian, like, handler to come in. And, like, they have a poem that they're supposed to say back and forth as their keyword. Oh, (laughs) yeah. You know, you got to have your, like, secret fucking spy code. Dude, it's so funny the way they did it because he's, like, the guy could not remember what the poem is. And, like, he's selling it to Dimitri. And, like, (laughs) he, like, finishes it for him while he's tossing the cigarette at him at the same time. Just gets in the car. He's like, get the fuck out. It's, It's really fucking good, man. The henchmen, you know, should always be a little bit. They should always be a little bit ridiculous. You know, they should should be kind of stupid, a little dumb. Yeah. And then, you know, you have the smart, big Ruski that's reporting to Russia. Yeah. You know, he he has something to say, and he's kind of threatening. He is. He is because I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, he would have had training. Uh, being a Russian operative living in the United States, so you know he can kill someone if he needs to, right? Um, And he does. He does. He uses the serum that was cured and was going to be used to kill the monster because the Russians did not want the Americans to have that monster to help Eliza with with her scheme of getting the monster out. I think I think that's one of my like that's my second favorite moment in the entire film. Yeah, that that sequence. Yes, where they're breaking out of the facility, the government facility, dude. I the way. It all is cut together and how it flows. Parallel action, man. It's fantastic. Dude, and when it ends, 
with Michael Shannon just like pissed as shit, shooting the fuck out of that van as it's speeding away. Because it fucked up his brand new Cadillac. His Machu Cadillac. Oh, dude, it's great. And the lights, the way the lights come on, the music hits. And then, yeah, he turns around and sees his Cadillac gut. Fucked up. Dude, it (laughs) is. His brand new Cadillac. That's steel. It's not, it's not green. It's steel. Oh, dude, the way the way the lights come on. Yeah, no, I know. I fucking loved that so much, dude. I thought that just really hit. You know, like we like here we are. We had the scene. Yeah. In any other film, that would have been the climax to the movie for me. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I'm I'm done. Yeah. Uh, Guillermo del Toro does that quite a bit for me, though. There's like always a section in the middle of his movies where I'm like, oh, this is where every other fucking movie in the world would have ended. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Like, <laughs> this is where, like, there's only five more minutes left. You yeah, know? Right? yeah, yeah. And you get another 40 or an yeah. hour. No, no, no. I mean, like, again, it's masterful storytelling, you know? And it's like, you don't get this stuff. Like, I really felt, like, I know this is far fetched. And, 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 like, look, if you no, think I'm really wrong, <laughs> if, if you think I'm wrong, tell the audience I'm wrong. But, Guillermo's pacing and directing in this really reminded me of a lot of like 1960s, like Dario Argento and like, uh, like, you know, John Pierre Melville, like, like the, the 60s Italian and French cinema, like his pacing in this film definitely reminded me of that. Like just the character development and it's not really a three, a full three act structure. It's like really three and a half, four. No, it's a three X structure. Not a full. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't think it's a full one. There's like like what you just said right now. Like that could have been the point where it was like, okay, that's the end of the second, you know, act and the the start of the third. To me, it wasn't. Like to me, there was a couple of points where it was like the end of the second, the start of the third. Like that was one of them. The second is like, you know, when she gets him back into the apartment and he's about to like suffocate and she had to put the 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 salt the regular you know like table salt you know to like kind of yeah, keep yeah. him alive like to me that would have been the se- the end of the second act and the beginning of the third one because now we're transitioning to the i think i think relationship i think that's into the, close to where it is yeah yeah but also could have been when michael shannon was shooting out the fucking van that could have also been the second the, the end of the second chapter for me like that's what i'm saying it's it's very 60s 50s 60s french italian cinema you know uh, like the pacing. Really? You think the pacing is, is... I really think so, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, yes, it's got a modern twist to it. I'm just, I'm just talking about the narrative aspect of the pacing, not the actual edits. Mm-hmm. I know you're an editor, so like, just, so let's take you out of that mind frame. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just... I'm just the, uh, the, the, the narrative structure of it. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't... Mm, I don't know if I see like a really French... Over. I don't know. I'd have to go... Mm. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. It's the Mexican Amelie. It, 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 well, it feels like Amelie, but yeah. I think the reason it feels like Amelie is mostly because of the uh, the cinematography and the music, to be honest with you. Uh, it's got a lot of green, which is very Amelie. Anytime I see green... It is. Green and blue. Yeah. Like well, with like bright reds. Dude, I, don't, I don't care. If I see green in cinema, the first thing I think of is Amelie. Amelie. I, I, dude, that I movie is soaked so, in green. I know. It's just so beautiful. I know. It's, it's fucking a, fantastic. And, and the, the music with the... Uh, what is it? Uh, I think it's a, uh, an accordion. Yeah, with the anomaly, and you do get a little bit of that in this soundtrack, and it's yeah. such a distinct, weird well, okay, instrument look, that you don't hear. In all lot. fairness, Alexandre Desplat is French. No, no, look, I'm not saying and, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I think he I is know, going but, for but that. But both composers are French. Both composers are French. Jan Tiersen did Amelie. He's French, and Alexandre Desplat, he's French and Greek. So I mean, you know, they're both. So yes, of course, the so, fucking so, accordion is going to be there. That. So so every every French score should just automatically have an accordion in it? Yeah, and flutes. What? 
No, get out of here. No, come on. He's obviously look, an accordion, hey, hey, a whimsical hey, instrument. Hey, That's hey, obviously th- what they're going for. Th- this this film is about 1960s stereotypes. Go ahead and just stereotype a little bit. All right. Cool. No, no, it's, come on, come on. No, look, it's it, it is. An accordion and, uh, is a whimsical instrument. Okay, I'm a leading whimsical. Film. Film. So since we're talking about the score, can we fucking talk about the whistles? Uh, what, 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 what about the whistles? There's whistles oh my god, dude. I know, like human whistles. It was like you know. Oh my god, man. Like, dude, th- that those parts. <laughs> Dude, it real like that's part this of the escapism. The crew, this is all right. <laughs> this is I know, I know, but this is part like to me, it's part it's part of like the the magic of like being transferred into a new world, right? Into like no, escapism, absolutely. like absolutely. like the music has a lot to do with it because the music like, has a lot to do with every film. Absolutely. Yeah, like to me, between the color palettes and cinematography, the storytelling, obviously, and like the music band, like I just I live in this world. Like it's weird. Like I have not had this feeling about a film. In a long time That's because man We don't watch A lot of fucking films By a lot of What we, what I would like To really call Truly great filmmakers I agree I agree with you uh, Because a lot of times Like when we get into These like big budget crap It's just it, it's, it's answered by committee you know, and that's one thing I liked about the last Star Wars movie You love it or hate it It's got a vision to it bro It's done by a director You know Yeah There's somebody that came in With a vision You can love or hate it I, I mean I don't care But it's, will, it's their film It's, I will it's always their escape re- Exactly I will always respond better To that Than to just Garbage Like exactly what I want to see I don't I don't want somebody to show me what I want to see. I want to be challenged. Exactly. Yeah. If I want to see what I want to see, then I could go fucking make that film. I know, right? <laughs> Every dumbass in the world could go make that film. <laughs> With an iPhone, right? right? <laughs> it's called The Florida Project <laughs> and Tangerine. Oh, I, uh, don't, dude, I, I fucking what? hate those films. But anyways, yeah. Dude, the Florida uh, Project? Uh, really? Uh, I, don't, I, I do not like that filmmaker uh, at all. I, I, I love The Florida Project. Yeah, all right, cool. I right, not so, Tangerine. But, 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 but back to this. Yes, I agree with you on every aspect of it. Like, you know, I, I really fucking do because this is definitely, ah, fuck, I'm so happy that I'm alive to, like, see his films in theater. And I know I said I'm not a big fan of him, but now I'm going to go back and rewatch every single film he's ever made. And I'm going to be anticipating every single film he's going to make in the future because this was really a film... Like you can tell, it was him. Like I don't know if I don't know if this was like his childhood dream to make a film like this. But what I'm trying to say is, this gave me a feeling when I was 13 years old, when my parents were, you know, like 13, 14, 15, when my parents go through a divorce. All I wanted to do was watch movies because that was my escape, and I would write shit like this. Do you get what I'm saying? And like to me, this was it. Like to me, this was me reliving my like early teens and adolescence. Um, not of nostalgia. I'm talking about just being transformed into a movie. I remember back then of like watching movies from the not 80s and 90s and early 2000s. And I'm like, I'm living in this universe. And I have not had that in a good eight to nine years, man. All the films that right now we have and we watch are all formulaic. And I don't get transferred into that world anymore. I don't go watch fucking movies eight, nine times in the theater. I do not fucking do that. No sane person does that. I've done this. So I many t- totally disagree with that. Oh, I well, you're not sane. <laughs> do not compare yourself to the general public, motherfucker. You're fucking like, no, you're, no, you're come like on, certified come on. insane. No. You know, I, I, th- I, th- I think if I'm insane, we're all insane here. Oh, no, no. I, whatever, I'm dude. Sure. Come on. And, and, and probably all our audiences as well. <laughs> yeah. You and I, you and I are not normal people, man. We drive three hours to Nashville to go watch uh, an IMAX laser projection or 
whatever. Come on, man. I, don't, I, don't, I, I think our audience is included on this because if you're listening to people talk about movies, that's true. That's I, true. I, mean, I mean, you're already like, to or the they point could of be like, or they could be like taking a long ride and they don't have like Pandora Premium, and so like, oh, I guess we don't need to listen to some South, you know, <laughs> we don't need to listen to commercials. We're listening to this podcast, you know. But either way, thank you for listening to us. Uh, yeah, we'll make sure to throw in the commercials now. <laughs> Brought to you by Panoply Network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, going back to the, uh, the 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 Russian thing, the Russian spy. I thought that I thought his character was a great inclusion, um, especially with um, what we're going on with Russia and Russian collusion right now that's going on in the, in the United States. And, and this film would have been written before any of that shit was ever put out. That's true, you know. And it's just it's one of those things, man. That when you're watching this. And you're Russian. I mean, like, how how many fucking movies, dude, can you think of that get wide releases where you're current? I mean, this is like releasing a movie in the 90s where a dude from the Middle East has some depth and did something right. Like, no, that didn't happen. Like, in the middle of in the but 90s. Bitch, like, the 90s. Why you, I'm, in, I'm from the Middle East, and I'm living in 2018. I'm trying to make my film, and none of ours fucking appear. Like, dude, let me just tell you how bad we are in Hollywood eyes, all right? Even for extras as serious, they don't even cast us. They cast fucking Indian guys, all right? Like, this is how bad Hollywood looks at Middle Eastern people, like where I come from, all right? We can't even play our old terrorist characters. They hire Indian guys to play the fucking terrorist. With a really shitty Arabic accent, all right? So I agree with you. Um, this character really did have depth, and it was actually fucking redeeming. This yes. character was fucking redeeming. He was and, better than Michael Shannon. Um, are we talking about acting or are we talking about the character itself? I, I'm, ta- I'm talking about his character. As, as a human character. being. Yeah, yes. It's choices yeah. in the movie. Okay, good, good. Because yeah. I was like, don't fuck with, Like, that's going to be, that's, that's, he's coming up on my Eric Bana man crush right now, Michael hey. Shannon, man. Very slowly, man. Cause come on, like all the films he's been in, that he's done with that Arkansas dude. What's his name? Uh, dude, his his eyes like bug out so much when he gets mad. There, no, there's no way. He, he's no so Eric good. Bana. He, he's, well, he is. I, but dude, I, I he didn't say his, he's Eric Bana. I said he's getting close to becoming my man crush as Eric Bana. Get the fuck out of <laughs> no, here. Eric Bana is a handsome Adonis of a man. All right. Eric Bana is a, is a god. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Shannon, if he just like went blink face, I would be afraid of him. <laughs> Michael Shannon looks like he can fucking murder you in your sleep. <laughs> but he was so vulnerable and take shelter. I mean, come on, that was a really good fucking. No, no, I'm not. Then, I'm not know. saying he. God, what's the name with that director, man? I, I'm blanking out. Come on, he's Lucero's brother. He's from fucking Arkansas. Uh, Midnight Special. He, uh, yeah, yeah, that Midnight. guy. Fuck. I really liked Midnight Special. Man, me too. Oh my god. I thought that was really Michael. Ah, uh, guys, Michael Shannon, by the way, was. Was a you know up and coming actor until this guy from Arkansas whose brother is in a band from Memphis named Lucero. Fuck, what's the guy's name? Um, he put him in his films, Shotgun Diaries. Jeff Nichols. Jeff Nichols. Jeff Nichols. Man, that we we gotta do podcasts about Jeff Nichols. Just all his movies combined. I I, I really liked I really liked Midnight. Dude, I have liked every single film that fucker did. Man, I, I Shotgun Diaries, Take Shelter, uh, Mud, and fucking oh my. God, this guy is fucking good. Yeah, no, Mud, Mud was really good. Anyways, uh, back to the film. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, Dude, I'm in love with this film. Like, I don't just love this film. This film will be one of my films that I'll watch every single year, two, three times, no matter what. See, dude, I, now I want you to see The Devil's Backbone. I, I will. I will. Maybe we'll do a podcast about that, too. But I'm just telling you, like, man, th- this film, I also, like, at the very end, there's this fucking poem that uh, Guillermo del Toro wrote. 
that was like the last thing that was said in the film. Oh yeah, because Richard Jenkins has uh, some opening bookends. Oh my god, the, o at the end. And Man, the I I, I got to do this poem before we fucking close out the podcast. So <laughs> you let me know when you're ready. I'll let you know. Well, you can go ahead and read it, man. Oh, my God. All right. So uh, at the very end, the fish kisses her. So she has gills and she can, like, breathe and stuff like that. The voiceover, Richard Jenkins, comes on and it just says, Unable to perceive the shape of you, I find you all around me. Your presence fills my eyes with your love. It humbles my heart, for you are everywhere. Just fucking beautiful. You know, I I hope this this opens up your your eyes a little bit more to Guillermo del Toro's previous work. It, as well. it, it has. I owe it to myself to go back and re-see all his work with a new eye, and then keep an eye out with his new work coming up. Yeah, dude. I'm and you. I guess it's part of growing. Yeah, yeah, man. Dude, as an adult, <laughs> De- Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, Shape of Water. It's, it makes a really nice, beautiful fantasy fairy tale trilogy. Hell yeah, man. Uh, I, I do think Devil's Backbone, that's probably my favorite Del Toro movie. Okay. But I think Shape, Shape of Water is probably, probably two. Well, I'm, okay, when I say favorite, I meant to say I think they're his best. My favorite's Pacific Rim. Oh, wow. That's and you're favorite. really all about that film. I do. I love that movie, dude. The Holy music, shit. everything. It just, it, look, Guillermo del Toro is like my soul boo as a director. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, I mean, boo. Who <laughs> boo? Dude, like, well, at least we know you're not racist. You like some Mexican guys. <laughs> oh, let's, dude. Uh, let's do last thoughts and get the fuck out. All right. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, guys, I think this is a great movie. I really do think this is Guillermo del Toro's, like, personal trilogy is 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 his war end of innocence trilogy? I don't know what he would call it. I don't even know what I would call it. But Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, Shape of Water. It's not my favorite of those three films, but it man, it's so strong. And I I really want it to win Best Picture. I want this to win Best Picture over. I think most other movies. I'm pretty sure. I don't know, man. Like well, Get well, Out. I want to win. Yeah. But, okay, but no, 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 but like, like, let's be honest. It's get, so get out, get out is not gonna get best picture, and it is not best picture fucking contender. Well, I wanted to win. I want get out to win best picture just because horror hasn't won since Silence of the Lambs. That's true, and that's the only time that I know of that horror ever won at the Oscars. So I'm, I'm ready to see some horror come back. And Shape of Water almost is like it's, it's got it's, horror elements. It, it's it's horror like romance slash fantasy, you know. So mm-hmm. now that I've now that I've said that, I am ready for Get Out to win Best Picture. Now that I've said, <laughs> now that I'm talking through it a little bit more, yeah, yeah, no, I'm ready for that to win. Yeah, I, but I, I think it, it's it's a toss up between Dunkirk or The Shape of Water. Um, yeah. and if Finest Hour is like getting it, someone is sucking someone's dick. Finest that hour? film is a piece of shit. Finest Hour, yeah. Darkest Hour, Darkest Hour. Sorry, yeah. Finest Hour was last year with Chris Finest Pine. Hour, yeah, it's all the same <laughs> shit. Back to final thoughts. But no, I, I really liked it. I think it's Thank a great you. film. I think you need to go see it in the theater. I think Shape of Water is, it really is everything the critics make it out to be. It really is spectacular. The performances from everyone, literally everybody, like from Sally Hawkins all the way down to Doug Jones being the creature. Bro, um, bro, no, like even even the lady that yells at them when they're doing their time cards, she's even fantastic. Yeah, everyone is like even the featured extras are fantastic. I don't have anything but great things to say about it. So yeah, go see it. Yeah, sa- same here, man. Yes, this is definitely an escapism film for me. I love it to death. 
cinematography, music, wardrobe, production design, acting, writing, directing, everyone. Sally Hawkins is my number one favorite thing about this film. My number one, like above Guillermo Tortoro, above the writing. Like I know a good director picks out a good cast. She is super incredible, like fucking superb in this thing. I will, I, will, I would like fall in love with this film because of her and I fall in love with her because of this fucking film. Like it is just fantastic. Uh, you, you really should go watch it in theaters. Don't like give, give some money to these guys. Like do not wait for it to come out on iTunes. But even if you do, don't rent it, buy it. It is so worth it. Like this is a film you'd want to sit down and watch with your kids at some point when they're like 16, 17. Yes, definitely when they're older. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's a lot of sex. In so you don't have yeah. weird sex, sex conversations sex about a fish, fish. man. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> like sex is already a weird conversation to have with your kids. You don't yeah. want to have it with Gilman. Yeah, but That's this, just confusing. This, this is such a fucking sexy, beautiful fucking film, man. It, it is, is really beautiful. It is fucking just like ugh. It just like it makes it makes me want to make movies. Like again, like it does you know scare me that this guy's gonna win cinematography over Deacons. For Blade it, it, it does scare me too, but then also like Dunkirk, man. Don't forget about Dunkirk. That was like that's a really good. I, dude, I too, really, I, to be honest with you, I don't think Dunkirk can even hold. A, I can't hold a candle to Shape of Water and twenty forty nine. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think it can. Yeah, I really hope fucking Deacons get twenty forty nine. The the uh, thing Oscar that's I think that. that's gonna hold Deacons back is that he had a huge budget on that Blade Runner movie. When they did Shape of Water. Dude, that's $20 million. I know. Under, we were talking about that. I didn't do $20 million. $20 million. Dollars. And it looks better than the fucking, like, goddamn uh, Marvel films that were, like, made for $200 million. Like, uh, the fucking producers, I don't know how the fuck they kept this under $20 million. I mean, now, granted, I know Guillermo del Toro paid a lot for, like, creature design and stuff out of, out of his, his own, own pocket. pocket. Yeah. yeah, before the movie ever even got greenlit. Man, I mean, just... It's the way it looks under twenty million. It's fantastic, man. I, well, I can't it's imagine just, it's how just, you it's can just do like, it. It's just like Shane Black when he did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, he did that for fifteen million. And look at the way that fucking film is. But lit. dude, look, look at this fucking movie. Like this movie has like fucking huge ass CGI shots. Like I mean, guys, when you're seeing all these wide shots, I mean. None of that shit exists. We're not. We're no longer in the fifties and sixties, bro. These buildings don't look like that. This is CGI landscape on all this outside shit. It's amazing. All of this work. And he did it under twenty million dollars, and it looks so fucking good. And yeah. then you see a two hundred million dollar piece of shit film, and you're like, how the fuck did you fuck it up, dude? Like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I I could not wrap my head around how Justice League looks so shitty. Because it's fucking Justice League. Like, who the fuck even goes to watch that in theaters? You must have. You're a moron. Then I was literally gonna say you must be a moron to go see any of those films. That's why I'm a Batman fan too, but not to that fucking extent. I'll wait for that shit to come out on iTunes for two ninety nine. Then, son, you're not a Batman fan. You're just a you're just a casual. No, I don't want to. I don't want to give. I I do not want to give up my fucking money because I know it's gonna be a piece of shit, bro. What the fuck? I didn't know. I didn't know. I don't know. Oh, I know. I can just watch the trailer and tell it's gonna be. A fucking piece of shit You know Wahid I'd like to keep An open mind And give people The benefit of a doubt Brother Alright You're a better <laughs> man Than me 
Even even where's, when I say, where's Eric Bannon when we need him? All right, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Even uh, say what? No, no, we're done here. We're yeah, done. We're, done. we're done. Let's close out this podcast. <laughs> let's let's been, yeah, we've been like trying to fucking close this out for like twenty five minutes. Go ahead, fucking let's close it out with some Alexandre Desplat. All right, guys, you've been listening to the Movie Crew podcast. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail That's themoviecrew crew spelled C R E W E. That's right, extra e at the end of the word crew. At gmail.com. If you guys want to get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter, you can do that at Movie Crew Pod. Same yeah. with Instagram at Movie Crew Pod. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel comfortable promoting the the Instagram just yet. But you can go to, to yes, <laughs> go and like it for now. We'll post naked pictures of Brian later. And then everybody runs away. Uh, Wahid, where can they follow you, sir? Any social media at WA Films. All right, guys, and like always, we close out a little bit with the soundtrack. Oh, Ahid, since you have such a magnificent direction <sighs> I for, do. for this soundtrack, why don't you tell them what we're going to be playing tonight, sir? So, since I do have a heart on, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. We're going to play off the uh, track one, The Shape of Water, and then we're going to play uh, track seven, Eliza and Zelda. Enjoy. <laughs> 